Last Sunday, I shared um, with all of you that this year, August through May, we will use worship to reflect on um, the wisdom of Scripture, overarching kind of big themes in Scripture that aid us in understanding God, understanding each other, understanding the world, how that all relates. We began last Sunday with Genesis 1, naming pretty big piece of our faith story is about creation itself, standing in awe and wonder and delight at God's created order, starting with these words, and it was good, looking around and saying, yes, this is all so very good, because it is our love and our respect and our delight in and of this place, um, this earth that we call home, that makes all the rest matter. But did you know, there are in fact two creation accounts, and if you didn't, having heard the one last Sunday and today, you should have figured it out by now. So today we're gonna look at Genesis 2. Now, I don't want everyone to get worried that um, we're just gonna take the Bible chapter by chapter from now until May. One, we would never finish. But two, there's some places we would hit and get bogged down that some of you would just quit coming. <laughs> I promise. Um, but there's a lot. There's a lot in those first three chapters of Genesis, a lot of foundational stuff. So we're going to kind of make our way through those, dive into Exodus, and then jump to the prophets. But today, we stay in creation. Last week, Genesis 1, that first creation account. Today, Genesis 2, the second creation account. Two separate creation accounts. Two different writers working perhaps several centuries apart. They differ in their interests, in their literary styles. One of my Old Testament professors, Ellen Davis, um, she has a book, Getting Involved with God, uh, that we had to read as part of her class. And she has a chapter about these two stories. She says Genesis 1 and 2 have distinct ways that they each characterize us, humanity. The first story, you have humanity created at the end. We are introduced to male and female at the same time, and we're told that male and female are created in the image of God. The call we receive? To exercise dominion over the creatures. Then the second writer, and God formed the human being, Adam, dust from the fertile soil, Adama. Davis reminds us that there's some Hebrew wordplay going on there. Humans came from humus, and the vocation of humanity, as Davis says, is to get their hands dirty. And God took the human being and set him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch it. There's some other differences. The order of creation is very different in both. How we get to male and female is very different in both. And if you want to read some good reading on Genesis 2, Elizabeth Cady Stanton has a Bible that she did herself and has her own commentary. Um, and there's some good stuff in there if you want me to pass it along to you for Genesis 2. But in both stories, 
Human beings are given the weighty honor and responsibility of representing God's benevolent domain, dominion in the world, of standing up for God's interest in the face of every threat. This is why they are both important, why they are found side by side, why sometimes we read them and we don't even realize they're two very different stories. Genesis 1 is more poetic and beautiful, and it claims from the start that creation is good. But Genesis 2 adds something pretty important. They complement each other. They weave together to tell a single story, to give a single witness. We are connected on one side of the family tree with divinity. We are created male and female in the image of God. And then we get to Genesis 2, and on the other side of that family tree, we are connected to the soil itself. And God formed the human being, Adam, dust from the fertile soil, Adama. There's that wisdom of scripture, sacred text, that aids us in understanding God, ourselves, in our world. Davis put it this way in her book, borrowing a phrase from the African-American tradition. She says, the first chapter of Genesis gives us a sense of somebodiness. We are made in the image of God. We are of infinite worth and high destiny. But the second creation account warns us to not get too high an opinion of ourselves. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Davis claims that the Old Testament is the most valuable resource we have for thinking about creation, our call to care for it, and our response to any crisis within it. How can this be, she says, since the biblical writers had no way of knowing what challenges we would face? The answer? They were pervasively aware that God is the creator of everything that is. We might think that the biblical story of creation ends with that first chapter of Genesis, but if you read through, it continues on through Torah, the prophets, the Proverbs, and Psalms. The biblical writers over and over and over again, they explore the infinitely complex web of relationships with the earth and the non-human creatures in which we are embedded. Helps us see the degree to which our relationship with God is bound up in our relationships with the creatures whom God has made. To put it succinctly, God created a relational world. The elementary school my youngest attends has this reading challenge each year. Students have to read a certain number of books that have won the Magnolia Award, and if they reach their goal, there's a breakfast they can attend at the end of the year. Um, One I read with Cody last year, the year before, I can't remember, is this one, uh, Bringing Back the Wolves, How a Predator Restored an Ecosystem. It's a story that shows just how beautiful and fragile this relational world is. Short synopsis, wolves were overhunted, I think, at the beginning for a good reason. I mean, there was a fear, right, of these top predators. 
But then something happened. Without the wolves, the food web was messed up. There were not enough wolves to hunt the elk, so there were too many elk. Elk are herbivores, so the plant life suffered. The plant life suffered, then so did all the animals relying on that plant life. Now, the book goes into a lot more detail than this. Um, you can pick it up and see it. But the wolves were eventually reintroduced, and the last page of the story says, Mending the Web. The beginning pages of our story of faith point us to a sacred truth. This beautiful, fragile world God created is interconnected. It's relational. Or as one pastor said, there is a foundational ecological truth. When one part of creation goes awry, the whole suffers. Ecology itself is the study of relationships. Relationships of organisms to one another and to their physical surroundings. There's a pastor, um, Andy Lloyd, um, and his writing in the Christian Century said, if we could just see our interconnectedness, imagine what it would look like. And you can picture the children's moment again if you like. Imagine what it would look like. Um, this fabric, threads running between each of us and every person on whom our lives depend. Threads tracing the path from each of us to each non-human creature that interacts with our life the food on our table, the tree that we smile at every morning, the birds that sing us awake, still more threads traveling from each of those creatures to all the creatures on which they depend. They're pollinators for their food, the earthworm that, toil that tills the soil on which they grow. And finally, he says, there are the shimmering gossamer threads spun of some gorgeous hue running from each creature and each human to God. Our lives are held, interconnected, one to the other and all to God. We are bound up in a beautiful, multicolored, homespun fabric. That fabric is an ecological truth. It describes this deeply interconnected and interdependent world. And it is also a theological truth, reflecting the world as God made it to be, a relational world, a connected world, an interdependent world. So what is the wisdom we are to hear in Genesis 2? What is the wisdom we are to take by holding Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 together as two distinct creation accounts giving us a single witness? Humanity is made in the image of God, and humans come from humus, the dirt. These belong together. We have something of God in us, but the soil also lays claim upon us. Not one of us can escape our dependence on the soil and our responsibility to it. To maybe um, bring it a little more home, um, or make it hit more, at least this reading of this line brought it more home to me. The responsibility to the soil is shared by everyone who eats. Eating is the act that embeds us most fully in creation, for better or for worse. 
Food is a gift from God. And I think we can all agree that with regard to food, yes, it is good. And we can eat it in good faith or in bad faith. And of course, eating is just one way, right? Practically holding and living into our relationship with the soil itself will look different for each of us. Um, I am not the one that has food growing in my backyard. But I bet, um, I bet if any of you want to do that, and I didn't ask her permission to call her out, but I will. If anyone wants to get started with that, Shelly Powers will gladly aid you. I'm doing good if I just keep plants alive. And I'm not sure it all has to be gardening. It's about finding your little thing. It can be something as simple as using cloth napkins or turning the lights out when you leave a room or taking shorter showers, or it can be bigger like supporting a small farm by buying into it or getting one of their food boxes, visiting the farmer's market on the weekends, carpooling, buying less clothes, buying less stuff in general. We have an example of something little right here on our altar table, and I forgot to double-check this story, so if I'm wrong, I will correct it next Sunday. Um, but our candle and can- I mean our cross and candlesticks were made out of wood from the old cross that used to be at the, ro- at the end of the road. Bob Russell made these. Um, so there's little things all around us, and there is literally a wealth of information out there on small and large steps everyone can make to be more mindful of our connection to the soil. One last piece of wisdom I hope we all carry with us. Genesis 1 and 2 tell us that part of the beauty in God's created order is that it is relational. It's a relational world. It's all connected by this invisible thread. And our call Our job is to strive to stay in right relationship on one side of the family tree with God, on the other side of that family tree with the earth itself. Stopping every now and then and just looking at creation itself, standing in awe of it, respecting it, learning to love it, practicing care of it. Now, next week, we jump into Genesis 3 and talk about what it means when that connection gets broken. But today, we give thanks for a relational world, a world our God created. And we listen. We listen for the ways God invites us and the earth invites us to be in relationship. May it be so. Amen.